a young man, 21 years of age, ran, and this is all alleged and as much as we're being given information-wise right now, okay, ran when he saw police. Now, the law states that if you are in a bad neighborhood, a, a crime, sorry, 25, a crime-ridden neighborhood, that police are legally allowed to pursue on foot somebody who is running from them, especially if they perceive them being running from a crime, maybe have committed a crime, you're in a bad neighborhood, that, that, that is legal. There are talks that somebody saw a knife clip. They say there was a knife in his pocket. We're not exactly sure what kind of knife. We're getting different kinds of reports. What kind of knife will definitely be um, very important, lawyers are saying. And this guy, after he was apprehended, was put in the back of a police van, driven around for over 40 minutes without having a seatbelt on. Now, according to his family and various reports, his neck snapped. He had a severed spinal cord. What? And his voice box was smashed. Now, could those injuries be consistent with being thrown around if you are handcuffed in the back of a van without a seatbelt? I don't know. But it doesn't sound likely to me. And I know a little bit about spinal cord injury. When I was 15 years of age, I was in a terrible car accident. I was in the hospital for months. I could not walk. At first, there was concern that my spine would have been severed. It was not. I had like a bruise and a shock to the system. What was explained to me by doctors spinal cord specialist at the time was that your, 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 your spine and your spinal cord are so fragile. But that vertebra that surrounds it, that really holds our skeleton together, everything comes out from that, right? Your neck, your limbs, your rib cage. It is so, so strong. It's really hard to break. Now, I know some people, you know, your mother used to say, mine did, if you pull out a chair, you can fall down, break your tailbone, and, you know, become paralyzed. I lived with that fear my whole bloody life, right? And when I lived in Miami, Florida, and started my talk career there in the late 80s, the Miami Center to Cure Paralysis was right around the corner from my apartment, and I made some good friends like Eric and Jim, both quadriplegics who had spinal cord injuries. One of them dove off a roof drunk into a pool and hit his head, hello, and he would say he deserves to be in that chair for stupidity. Another, a military member who was swimming in Pensacola in an area that was shallow and didn't have a sign saying, do not dive shallow water. It can happen, right? You hit your body in a certain way. So I'm not saying it can't happen. We're really not sure. I mean, what was he being arrested for? The knife. But what about that knife? There's a lot we don't know. There's an investigation. We know that a city was burning, a city had riots. And we have all various opinions. People want to blame the president, as certainly that took place on the show I was on earlier today and taped. People that want to blame politicians that they think that there weren't Democrats and liberals in power in Baltimore and Maryland and in the White House, this riot wouldn't have happened. And that, I think we would all agree, is completely ignorant, naive, that this is not about politics. This is about anger. This is about a lack of justice. This is about a perception. This is about some reality. 
This is about the need for change. And by the way, this isn't all of the African-American community. There are people today sweeping up who were crying over businesses they built, homes they built, scared because they can't have their children go to school. And the list goes on. I mean, the game between the Baltimore Orioles and Chicago White Sox tomorrow is going to be closed to the public. Okay? I mean, there are people protesting even about that. Schools closed because it's too dangerous to send your kid outside. Like some in the community have said, this is an embarrassment to us. This isn't how we should handle a problem. This doesn't get us the right kind of attention. And I would agree with all of that. This morning, my kid's at a spring concert, and I sat next to a woman who is African-American. And I said to her, what do you think of Baltimore as a black woman? And she said, look, I think it's wrong. I don't condone violence. And I agree with her 100%. But she said, you know, there is anger. And when you add anger to the lack of opportunity, lack of educational opportunity, work opportunity, even Dr. Phil, who I'm not the biggest fan of, on Fox News Channel, on Fox and Friends in the Morning, explained to a white guy that black people just don't have the same opportunity as you. And then black people in the inner city, African Americans in the inner city, do not have the same opportunity as those of us who are not black and those of us who do not live in the inner city. That is not about race. That is not about Al Sharpton. That, my friend, is about truth. The president had something to say about the riots. And, of course, people get on him. People get on law enforcement because they don't arrest all these individuals. But here's what the president had to say about the riots. And I'll continue what I have to say. We'll hear what you have to say as well. Don't go away. Here's President Barack Obama. There's no excuse for the kind of violence that we saw yesterday. It is counterproductive. When individuals get crowbars and start prying open doors to loot, they're not protesting. They're not making a statement. They're stealing. When they burn down a building, they're committing arson. And they're destroying and undermining uh, businesses and opportunities in their own communities uh, that rob jobs and opportunity from uh, people in that area. So it is entirely appropriate that uh, the mayor of Baltimore, who I spoke to yesterday, and the governor, who I spoke to yesterday, uh, work to stop that kind of senseless uh, violence and destruction. That is not a protest. That is not a statement. It's people, a handful of people taking advantage of a situation for their own purposes, and uh, they need to be treated as criminals. And the president had more to say about some of the things that I mentioned, the bigger picture, not just in the city of Baltimore, with regarding uh, police and the, the black community, the inner city, and our nation overall. Here's President Barack Obama. The violence that happened yesterday distracted from the fact that you had seen multiple days of peaceful protests that were focused on entirely legitimate concerns of these communities in Baltimore, led by clergy and community leaders. And they were constructive and they were thoughtful and, frankly, didn't get that much attention. And one burning building. Uh, will be looped on television over and over and over again. And the thousands of demonstrators who did it the right way, uh, I think, have been lost uh, in the discussion. The overwhelming uh, majority of the community in Baltimore, uh, I think, have handled this appropriately. 
expressing real concern and outrage over the possibility that our laws were not applied evenly in the case of Mr. Gray and that accountability needs to uh, exist. Um, and I think we have to give them credit. My understanding is, is you've got some of the same organizers now going back into these communities to try to clean up in the aftermath of a handful of uh, criminals uh, and thugs who, uh, who tore up the place. What those uh, community leaders uh, and clergy and others were doing, that is a statement. That's the kind of organizing that needs to take place if we're going to tackle this problem. And they deserve credit for it, and we should be lifting them up. Since Ferguson and the task force that we put together, we have seen too many instances of what appears to be police officers interacting with individuals, primarily African-American, often poor, uh, in ways that raise troubling questions. And it comes up, it seems like, once a week now. And so I think it's pretty understandable why the leaders of civil rights organizations, uh, but more importantly, moms and dads across the country might start saying this is, a, this is a crisis. What I'd say is this has been a slow rolling crisis. This has been going on for a long time. This is not new, and we shouldn't pretend that it's new. The good news is, is that perhaps there's some newfound awareness because of social media and video cameras and so forth that there are, are problems and challenges when it comes to how policing and our laws are applied in certain communities, and we have to pay attention to it and respond. What's also good news is the task force that was made up of law enforcement and community activists that we brought together here in the White House have come up with very constructive, concrete proposals that if adopted by local communities and by states and by counties, by law enforcement generally, would make a difference. Wouldn't solve every problem, but would make a concrete difference in rebuilding trust and uh, making sure that the overwhelming majority of effective, honest, uh, and fair uh, law enforcement officers, uh, that they're able to do their job better because it will weed out, retrain, or put a stop to those handful uh, who uh, may be uh, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, the challenge for us as the federal government is, is that we don't run these police forces. I can't federalize every police force in the country and force them to retrain, but what I can do is to start working with them collaboratively uh, so that they can uh, begin this process of change uh, themselves. The uh, Department of Justice has just announced a grant program for those uh, jurisdictions that want to purchase body cameras. Uh, we are going to be issuing grants for those jurisdictions that are prepared to start trying to implement some of the new training and data collection and other things that can make a difference. Uh, and we're going to keep on working with those local jurisdictions. I think it's going to be important for organizations like Eternal Order Police and other police unions and organizations to acknowledge that this is not good for police. Rather than close ranks, you know, what we've seen is a, a number of thoughtful uh, police chiefs and commissioners and others recognize they've got to get their arms around this thing and work together with the community to solve the problem. And we're committed to facilitating that process. So. Uh, the heads of uh, our COPS uh, agency uh, that helps with community policing, they're already out in Baltimore. Uh, our uh, head uh, assistant uh, attorney general for uh, the Civil Rights Division is already out in Baltimore. But we're going to be working systematically with every city and jurisdiction uh, around the country to try to uh, help them implement some solutions that we know work. We can't just leave this to the police. I think there are police departments that have to do some soul-searching. I think there's some communities that have to do some soul-searching. Uh, but I think we as a country have to do some soul-searching. 
This is not new. It's been going on for decades. And without making any excuses for criminal activities that take place in this community, what we also know is that if you have impoverished communities that have been stripped away of opportunity, where children are born uh, into abject poverty, they've got parents often because of substance abuse problems or incarceration or lack of education themselves can't do right by their kids. If it's more likely that those kids end up in jail or dead than that they go to college. In communities where there are no fathers uh, who can provide guidance to young men. Communities that where there's no investment and manufacturing has been stripped away and drugs have flooded the community and the drug industry ends up being the primary employer for a whole lot of folks. In those environments, if we think that we're just going to send uh, the police to do the dirty work of containing the problems that arise there without, as a nation and as a society, saying what can we do to change those communities, to help lift up those communities and, and give those kids opportunity, then we're not going to solve this problem. And we'll go through the same cycles of periodic uh, conflicts between the police and communities and the occasional riots in the streets. And everybody will feign concern until it goes away, and then we go about our business as usual. If we are serious about solving this problem, then we're going to not only have to help the police, we're going to have to think about what can we do, the rest of us, to make sure that we're providing early education to these kids, to make sure that we're reforming our criminal justice system so it's not just a pipeline from schools to prisons, so that we're not rendering uh, men in these communities unemployable because of a felony record for a nonviolent drug offense, that we're making investments so that they can get the training they need to find jobs. That's hard. That requires more than just the occasional uh, news report or task force. And there's a bunch of my agenda that would make a difference right now in that. Now, I'm under no illusion that out of this Congress we're going to get massive investments uh, in urban communities. Uh, and so we'll try to find areas where we can make a difference around school reform and around job training and around uh, some investments in, in infrastructure in these communities and uh, trying to attract new businesses in. But if we really want to solve the problem, if our society really wanted to solve the problem, uh, we could. It's just it would require everybody saying this is important, this is significant, and that we don't just pay attention to these communities when a CVS burns, and we don't just pay attention when uh, a young man gets shot or has his spine snapped. We're paying attention all the time because we consider those kids our kids and we think they're important and they shouldn't be living in poverty and violence. That's how I feel. I concur with the president you know, on this. You know, we've talked about this before. This is a multifaceted problem. This is not a problem that's going to go away overnight. Were the police justified in stopping Freddie Gray in the first place? Quote, defendant fled unprovoked upon noticing police presence. According to the officer's words, that's the sole reason a stop was initiated. Could or should the police be charged with a crime for the injuries suffered by Gray? Uh, we've seen charging officers with crimes, especially murder, rare and difficult. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. We are talking about Baltimore, and I'm asking you some questions this afternoon. 8886-LESLIE. Let's get to your calls. Is the rioting in Baltimore the product of young people who don't know how to express themselves with words? Is it their lack of opportunity? What is it if it's neither of these or some combination of those and other things? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Were the police justified in stopping Freddie Gray in the first place? 
They said, quote, defendant fled unprovoked upon noticing police presence. That was the sole reason a stop was initiated. 8886-LESLIE. Could or should the police be charged with a crime for the injury suffered by Gray? What do you honestly think happened to him? Do you think he could have sustained such injuries just not being buckled in? 8886-LESLIE. 888-653-7543. The president said there's no excuse for the kind of violence that we saw yesterday. What happened to the days of civil disobedience? Would the protests get the attention they did, and they do, if it weren't violent? 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And speaking of protests, Ferguson for Michael Brown. We haven't seen as many regarding Staten Island and Eric Garner, but there have been some. And certainly we've seen Baltimore burning over Freddie Gray and his death. Are these protests effective, or do they just get cameras rolling? On the thought that the inner city is violent as opposed to the change they desire. 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. And one last thing. What message does this send to the rest of the country? There are people in that community, African American homeowners and business owners, or just hard, you know, working folks who may not own their business or home, working for somebody else, renting an apartment or a house or staying with family, who said, We're better than this. This isn't how you bring about change. This is an embarrassment. There were 202 arrests, 144 vehicle fires, and 19 structure fires during the riots, according to Baltimore City spokesman Kevin Harris. What message does this send to the rest of the country, America? What message does this send to you? 8886-LESLIE, 8886-537-543 is the number. Let's go to the calls. Gregory is in New York on line one. Thank you for joining us, Gregory. Good afternoon. Hey, Leslie. Happy Tuesday. Uh, glad to join you today. Nice to have you with us. Now, uh, what I wanted to bring up is that as much as I think uh, this is a reaction to the uh, uh, justice for Freddie Gray, which I think needs to be sought out, um, or at least some uh, investigation, I think what we're seeing here is uh, symptoms of a failed economic policy. Now, uh, Governor Hogan's very quick to send in the National Guard, but I don't see him reacting in 30 seconds with an actual jobs program. But wait, 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 wait. Okay, I, I, I hear you. Just wait one sec, though. Do sure. you really think if the unemployment rate were better that we wouldn't see riots? I don't agree. I think the riots are going to continue every time a black person is killed in police custody and there is a perception that the police may have brought about that person's death. Or that that person is unarmed or that person may have been unjustifiably stopped or questioned or held or arrested? Uh, I tend to think that you would have a lot less of these reactions and these kind of encounters if you did have people that were largely at work, if you did have a full full employment or something close to that. And uh, also I do think that if something like this did occur under those situations, I think it would be much more peaceful and I think it would be much more productive. I, you know, I just don't agree with you. First of all, the unemployment rate is different in Staten Island than it is in Baltimore than it is in Ferguson. Um, and, you know, yes, this is the African-American community per capita have a lower unemployment rate, uh, excuse me, higher unemployment rate, yes. But they always do. That's part of the problem is the lack of opportunity. And a lot of these communities, you know, the, the, the lack of money put into education compared to, you know, some folks just a few blocks away or in a different neighborhood outside of some of these communities. But, I mean, don't you feel that uh, a big cause of this, and I know you talked about this earlier, is uh, loss of these uh, manufacturing jobs? 
um, that used to be even high wage manufacturing jobs that didn't require. A, I know I agree uh, with I agree with you, but here's the problem: what I hear from people on the right, and I don't know where you are politically, right? I hear from people on the right: it's the president's fault. The ec- huh? I'm anti-fascist. Okay. <laughs> Well, I hear from people on the right that the president is to blame because the stimulus hasn't worked. It hasn't trickled down to the, you know, little people, if you will, or people lower on the food chain. Okay, Um, then, you know, then there are people on the left that blame blame huge corporations for constantly, you know, sending the jobs overseas. Others that blame, you know, Bill Clinton because of NAFTA. That isn't the reason these people are rioting. Does. Hey, look, does it add more lighter fluid to the barbecue? Absolutely. The reason in what I've been told by these communities, people in and outside of these communities who understand as African-Americans, which I do not as a white woman, um, they're tired of the racial profiling. They're tired of the disrespect. They're tired of the lack lack of communication by police. They're tired of black people dying in the hands of the white man with the gun and the uniform. They're tired of it. They're angry. They're fed up. They're madder than hell and not going to take it anymore. And unfortunately, this is the way they're showing that, in my opinion, and for what these people are telling me in the Fergusons, in the Staten Islands and Baltimores. Now, I think that if we can use these events, and, and I don't mean to make it sound positive, but to use these events as a way to get the economic struggle out, because there is a, it's certainly undeniable that these areas are suffering economically. And I think to what needs to come out in these, these protests is a programmatic mass traction economic demand. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's go with your thing for a sec, okay? Okay. Let's just say it is economic. Okay, and you know about economics, and I, I don't believe it is 100%. Do I think it adds to that? Yes. Do, you know, when you feel down in, if you're PO'd, I think it's it's easier to be angry when you're oppressed or feel absolutely. oppressed. You have a, you have a despair. Or, or absolutely, absolutely. So if, if that's the case, then why would anybody want to support cutting programs that help these people until they get that opportunity, until they finish that education? Why, why would do people thumb their, you know, nose up or middle finger at free community college? Why do people want to constantly, Republicans want to constantly slash food stamps, push people Absolutely. off of, push people off of welfare who have nowhere to go or if they don't right. have section eight housing, or if they don't have that check. And, and this is the danger that we're coming to, because I think you have someone like Hogan, who is a, a reactionary Republican who uh, pushes austerity cuts. And uh, proposes, you know, cuts all these kind of programs. They're absolutely shocking the things that these people propose. You know, Christie, Rayner, um, Snyder, Walker. Um, I don't know how they how are they winning. I mean, what, what's going on in the opposition that is allowing these guys to get in? You know, I don't think it's just about the leadership and the politics of the leadership. And the reason being, Baltimore has a very liberal leadership. Maryland, ha- you know, has a liberal leadership. Um, so I, I don't think it, it's not just about politics, because remember, a lot of these kids in the inner city who have a crappy school to go to and when they get out, no job, no chance because they don't have money of getting a college education. And when they walk down the street, they're questioned by police officers and, you know, racially profiled. And then they, they you know, hear about the Michael, you know, the Michael Browns in Ferguson. They hear about the Eric Garner in uh, on Staten Island in New York. And now they see what has happened in their own city. Um, 
this this is they don't stand up and say i'm sure some of them say why doesn't the president do something or i got to tell you something president obama is an african american he's biracial right but he's a black guy he stands up and says stop it you know it's not going to be like moses in the red sea parts the community's not going to listen to him because they are frustrated and this isn't overnight this this is decades perhaps centuries of anger that is built up in these communities that feeling like you mentioned mentioned earlier despondency hopelessness and what political party somebody is doesn't change that now i'm going to leave you with one thought uh, and i just want to say i think my and well my thought is that something like the next new deal is a way to close the gap to bring some kind of balance here where you have you know police and uh, the people that they look over on some kind of similar level now i think it's like there's this huge gap and what we can do is raise the standard of living improve the infrastructure and uh, close that gap, and I think we'll have less of these kind of encounters in the inner city. All right, thanks for your call, buddy. Hope to hear from you again. Uh, let's go to line three in Austin, Texas, with Steve, the liberal mecca of Texas. Little secret, some people know, like me who live there. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Good afternoon. All right, how are you? Good. How are you doing? You know, the great, Baltimore great. riots are a huge issue. They're taking up talk radio and television and the newspaper. Do you, do you think this is the number one issue, or do you think there are bigger issues out there? Um, I didn't hear the first part of your question. Well, do you think that the Baltimore riots are the number one and should be the number one issue and, and top of mind for America? Are there bigger issues? If I was the president or the mayor or somebody, I would have done something quickly instead of saying it's a local problem, no, you know, and let let it work itself out. Let's give people space to destroy things. Well, wait, 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 wait. They brought in the National Guard. They had the police in riot gear. What else were they supposed to do? What did they I not do? They you said they were supposed to do something. something. Quicker. They should have acted quickly, knowing that the, the situation was going to get out of control. Okay, so you don't think they acted quick, quickly enough? No, I think they waited, and then after things happened, then they stepped in after things were burning. Okay, so at what point do you step in quickly? Remember in Ferguson... They had the riot gear and tanks before it became violent. And what happened as a result of that, the reaction was more violent to that presence, the police presence in riot gear with tanks on their streets. I think a strong reaction, arresting people right away as soon as anything got destroyed or anybody did anything that broke the law would have prevented other people from joining in. I don't know because of what happened in Ferguson. I really, do, I, I really don't know. I have to tell you, I, I don't think that the police – I think we could see – I don't know if you want to call it fear, inexperience, but I, I didn't see the police handling the situation as well as they should have from what I, I saw. I could not believe they were throwing rocks back. It was a rock fight. I never saw anything like that in my life. That's not policing, throwing the rocks that somebody throws at you back. That, I don't understand that. And uh, I think like somebody like Willie Giuliani, when he was in New York, he took action, and there was no doubt that if people broke the law across the line, people have a right to free assembly and to protest and get their views out there, and it's important. And uh, I really uh, think that people should be able to do that. But that's not the same thing as arson and looting and destroying property and assaulting the police. It's not the same thing. 
All right. Thank you. And thank you for the call. Well, we've just heard from this caller in Austin, Texas, and he said they should have reacted quicker with the riot gear calling in the National Guard. Do you agree or disagree with that? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And also another guy said it's, you know, another caller said it's about the economy. Is this basically about the economy? Are these people angry because of money? 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. When I mean these people, I hope you know, I mean the people that were rioting in Baltimore uh, in the past uh, 24 to 48 hours. 8886 Leslie is the number. Uh, let's go next to Bill in Massachusetts, line two. Bill, good afternoon. Oh, Bill, we lost you, Bill. We lost you, Bill. So uh, who's on two now? Charles in Santa Fe. Charles, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh- Yes, uh, I'm very concerned about what happened, but I went through the Watts riots in the 60s, and it was much the same thing. And uh, they were tired, they were, uh, they were harassed, but uh, shooting young blacks uh, is, 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 uh, is reason to say that uh, the police are making a mistake. They have sociopaths on their on their um, uh uh, force and uh, you know this is not just out of the blue; they're killing them, and uh, that's that's wrong. And uh, I always said, you know, train them well, and, uh, and and see what prejudices they have. And every police department has its own uh, little uh, secret uh, agenda. And uh, I just I just think that it was not a matter of waiting for something to happen. Uh, it was going to happen. It's right for it. There's too many in, in, in one uh, uh, area of time, and it just, I mean, just they explode. And uh, I think other people, other minorities would do the same thing, especially if you're targeted. Well, you said that you, uh, Charles, were, you know, present during the Watts uh, riots that erupted in Los Angeles on uh, oh. August 11th of 1965. Uh, a routine traffic stop that ignited a six-day race riot in that neighborhood of Watts, L.A., and that's in South Central. 34 people dead, more than 1,000 were injured. And when you look back at that time, August of 65, um, it, in, it, it was a tense area, first of all. But also when you look at something, speaking to the earlier caller about economy, unemployment was high. There was no hospital. The police force was mostly right. And, of course, civil rights had passed in 64, but it was just a year before, and some states did try to get around the new law. Believe it or not, liberal California was one of them uh, because they created Proposition 14 that attempted to block the fair housing portion of the Civil Rights Act. So does the high unemployment, and in that time, no hospital, police force mostly white, and some of that happens today, don't have the schools other neighborhoods have. Cops don't live in the neighborhood. Cops don't walk the beat and know folks. A lot of the cops are white and do not mirror the composite, the demographics of that community and high unemployment. Um, you know, some people would say in the inner city, inner city, uh, some of the, uh, you know, poorer sections of Baltimore, just like Watts was in 65, um, are ghetto conditions. And, you know, so there there is some correlation. There is some, you know, similarity there. Is this, in other words, if we look back at 65 and we're in 2015, what has changed? 
If we have people no. randomly being stopped based on the color of their skin, more cops being white in black neighborhoods, not living in those neighborhoods, not walking a beat, not the same opportunity for a job, unemployment higher, not uh, the, the you don't have the schools, you don't have the hospitals. Helen Watts, they didn't even have a hospital. I know, and uh, it's it's it, it's a matter of uh, of uh, I, I I don't know uh, a personal agenda with police departments. And they have their, okay, so so wait a minute, Charles. Charles, two things, quick. One, can we, yes or no, can we expect the next time, and there will be unfortunately next time, a black man unarmed dies in police custody or has a knife in his pocket, that there will be another riot in the next city this happens? One, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay, two, how do we stop, how do we change that yes to a no quickly? I work with the police departments and and and, uh, and uh, start weeding out some of these uh, bad cops. There's good cops too, you know. Oh, the majority and, of police are the majority of police yes. are good cops. Yes. And uh, yeah, they they go from police department to police department. Uh, some police departments fire them when uh, you know. Uh, so so we need better we need to, better selection of officers, better training. Maybe the officers need to live in the neighborhood. We need to have the composite of the police def- uh, department mirror. Um, the community that they're serving and supposed to serve and protect. Thank you for the call. Hey, by the way, folks, is anybody else bothered by the fact that also this man, Freddie Gray, did not get the medical attention he needed? Neither did Eric Garner. And one could argue, obviously, neither did Michael Brown. And would these men be alive today if they had? We are back on Leslie Marshall, Line 1, New Mexico. Madonna joins us. Not the Madonna, the other Madonna. Hey, Madonna, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you today? Good, thank you. What's your take on Baltimore? Well, you know, my take on Baltimore is that we're just going back. I mean, I was around during Watts. I was around during Kent State. I've been around during all of that. And it's just a racial thing. That's the bottom line. And it's really sad. Here in New Mexico, I'm sure you've heard that we have our own problems with the um, police here. We've had, you know, the justice here looking over things. And what it amounts to is that some people should not be a, a cop. They really should be, you know, looked at. They really need to be investigated further because they've had people that have been, you know, hired not to do that. And, you know, I mean, hired to look into your background. How does some of this stuff get through their background checks? This is ridiculous. Well, you definitely, I, th- I, I would agree with you that the, the method of, uh, you know, of weeding out the good from the bad needs to be examined. Am I out of time? I'm out of time. Darn. That really, really needs to be done. The other thing is, is that... Well, you know, Madonna, I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm so sorry. I don't have time for that. But we will continue this conversation tomorrow. I'm just out of time. Uh, the, it's the end of the show for today. But we'll be back tomorrow.